Dotnet Rocks episode 707 with guest Paul Lewis. Recorded live Friday, October 7th, 2011. This episode is brought to you by Telerik and by Franklin's.net, training developers to work smarter. And now offering video training on Silverlight 4 with Billy Hollis and SharePoint 2010 with Sahil Malik. Order online now at franklins.net. And now here are Carl and Richard. Thank you very much and welcome back to .NET Rocks. It's Carl and Richard and we're doing fine. How are you? What's up, Richard? I am having a good time. Oh, that's It's good. a great time to be alive. It is a great time to be alive. Yeah. Unless, and, you, work, I, you, know, unless you work on Wall Street. <laughs> <laughs> or you hang out in a park at Wall Street. Yeah. I just heard Mayor Bloomberg's girlfriend owns the park. I don't think that's true. Or she she's on the board. Yeah, of the she's on the board of the because it is a privately. That's park. one of the reasons they haven't been able to kick them out. Is it is not a public park. It's a private park, and the company that owns the park is not asking them to leave. Right. They're, and and it's owned by a Wall Street guy, which I yeah I think Bloomberg's girlfriend's on that board of that's, that organization. That's what it is. Yeah. It's very interesting. You know, this stuff is better than TV. Yeah, it's better than stuff you make up. Reality is better than reality TV. Absolutely. I reality TV is getting freaking boring. It's always been boring to me, but, <laughs> but you know, there's real drama out yeah. there. Silvio Berlusconi. Oh my God. If that He's guy something. isn't a walking Hollywood movie, you know? Yeah. You, the problem is you couldn't make a movie out of it. Nobody believe it. That's true. Nobody would believe it. <laughs> All right. Anyway, what do you got? I uh, got some better no framework for you. Awesome. <laughs> Yes. Where are we going today, my friend? So, another HTML tag. Really? Uh, HTML5 tag that is supported by all five major browsers, that being IE, Firefox, Opera, Chrome, and Safari. This is um, a, a sub-tag of the audio tag. Okay. So, you make an audio player with, with the audio tag, and then inside the audio and the slash audio tag, you have the source tags. But what's cool about source tags is you can have two or more, uh, it doesn't say two or more, but it says two different source files. So if you want to provide an MP3 version or an AUG version and hmm. let the browser pick what it has support for, you can specify both of those as sources. And you then presume, you, you'd think you could do more than just the two. Yeah, you would think that. Yeah. Um, let me read it. it. Definition and usage. And this is from uh, w3schools.com, by okay. the way. Or if you just Google HTML5 tags, the first one. Or if you Bing it, for example. Or you Bing it with Google or Google with Bing it? Google and Bing it. Yep. Yeah. So definition and usage. The source tag is used to specify multiple, so that would be more than two, right. media resources for media elements, such as video and audio. It allows you to specify alternative video and audio files, which the browser may choose from based on its media type or codec support. So that's pretty cool. That is pretty cool. And, it, and you know, we get back to my concern all along, which has been how we're going to make all this compatibility work. Right. And that sounds like a really interesting solution is saying, okay, well, if you support this format, use this format. If you support that format, use that format. Like, yeah. that's exciting to me. And it's supported by all the browsers, so that's good. That is good. Yeah, I'm we glad. have to... I'm the happy. thing that's stuck in my brain as we talk about HTML5 and browser support... It's really about functionality support, which you can programmatically check. You don't ever have to check if it's this browser, do this. If it's that browser, do that. You just say if the browser supports, yeah. essentially. Yeah. Yeah, pretty well, cool. Well, and I also, you know, on my radar is to do a show around Modernizer, which is not only about figuring out what your browser supports, but dealing with the down-level browsers, too, how you fail gracefully. Yeah, right. Because we just got, you know, we're, we're back at that time where we have a ton of browsers. It's crazy. Right. Yep. Okay. Who's talking to us, Richard? I grabbed an email out of the stack uh, talking about show 700. And there's a little code at the top of the email, so I have to read the code. Okay. If sub u equals Carl sub then hello, Carl and Richard. Else, <laughs> hello, Richard and Carl. Okay. That's just waffling, Pedro. That's, you know, you're, you're being a chicken. Just pick a direction here. Just man up. <laughs> <laughs> i've been a long time dotnet rocks listener i first listened to you on show 208 with scott guthrie 
At the time, I was moving from C++ to C Sharp, and I thought it would be a good idea to listen to all the shows previous to 208. Yeah. And so I did, and in about a month, I went through all the backlog, and I haven't missed one since. Regarding the last show, which was show 700, I was in Anaheim for the Build Conference, and I attended the Billy Hollis unofficial pre-conference. I've known Billy from those shows, and it was great to meet him in person. His opinion about Windows 8 and what it brings resonates a lot with me. When I saw that Windows 8 and the underlying WinRT looked like, the first question that crossed my mind was, how can I use this to reimagine my apps? Mm. Can a CRUD app be built this way? And the answer is, yes, it can be done, and it will be done. And if I don't do it, somebody else will. I bet Billy is already imagining how he can use this new interface. Unfortunately, it seems that for a lot of developers, the first question was, can I ignore all this stuff and just keep on doing what I'm doing? It reminds me of when we did our business software in DOS. When Windows came along, we ignored it and kept doing the same thing. Then we could no longer ignore Windows. Lots of people were doing the same old programs, but they worked inside of a DOS window. But some people started building real Windows apps, and in no time, DOS software was a thing of the past. It mm -hmm. never completely disappeared, and lots of businesses still depend on it, but I'm sure there are lots of people activating those apps. I just don't want to be one of those people. <laughs> I don't either. <laughs> <laughs> and now we're in the same situation. If we don't adapt, our software may have the same fate as the old DOS programs. In right. a few years, we'll all be coding in Objective-C and Cocoa and dreaming of days gone by. Somebody moved my cheese. <laughs> <laughs> and that's from Pedro Rock. No kidding. That's R-O-Q-U-E. He's from Portugal. Awesome, Pedro. Pedro, thanks so much. We're going to ship a mug out to you. I love your email, and I have no arguments. I totally agree. I think we're in a very interesting place, and there's opportunities in both directions. If you and want to keep doing what you're doing, you can do that, for at least for a while. And if you're willing to look at the new stuff, you know, I think we already said this, Carl. Yep. If you're a Silverlight developer, you are the best position to take on WinRT and Absolutely, Metro. yeah. And, uh, Pedro, uh, we both like port. <laughs> so it's sweet too. So please Just saying, you know, from Portugal at all. We, yeah. we do we do like port. And if you want a mug, send us an email, dotnet rocks at franklins.net or write a comment on the website at dotnet rocks.com. Or we should say Puerto. Porto. Yes. Well, this is gonna be a fun show because our guest is Paul Lewis. And if you go to aerotwist.com, A-E-R-O twist.com, you'll see Paul. In all his glory, you think the the uh, the mug shot that we published was funny? You should see the rest of them. <laughs> Paul is a Brit currently based in Stockholm. Uh, he was getting a degree in computer science in two thousand one, and he saw two advanced V three website totally changed his outlook on one, what he wanted to do. Uh, it became Flash, 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 and more Flash. He became an expert. Um, totally digging the web now is doing HTML5 and WebGML. Um, very a very creative and inquisitive person, and I'm I'm basically looking at his bio, which is written in the first person and trying to pull out the nuggets. But uh, he can tell you about what happened at that moment, and maybe we should just let him talk. Paul Lewis, how are you? Hi, how are you doing? Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. So pretty much, pretty much what you said. I like. I was like this classically trained computer scientist. Um, and about 2001, I was just, I was sat, I remember so clearly, I fired up, uh, this, you know, two advanced version three, this flash website, and I was, I was just blown away. And I'd never seen anything like this before. And, uh, from that moment, I was like, okay, like computing science is cool, but the web is way cooler. Way cooler. <laughs> <laughs> I, I want to be where the cool kids are. Can I be cool? Yeah. Please. Um, so from that moment on, I was just, yeah, like you said, it was like flash, flash, flash. Cause that was the only thing Yeah, really to do, kind of do the crazy stuff that I wanted to do. And according um, to your website, you've been in HTML5, CSS3, JavaScript, WebGL, PHP, Java, ActionScript. Yeah. You've yeah. sort of done a whole bunch of stuff. So you must be pretty excited about where Microsoft is, is going with Windows 8 then. Well, yeah, I, I mean, one of the things that's been really interesting to see recently is Microsoft's commitment so heavily, particularly with the Metro version of IE, uh, to say, you know what, this is going to be a plug-in free experience. So right. you know, we're totally behind uh, HTML5. Uh, for a while, they've had uh, hardware-accelerated uh, Canvas, which is this, the HTML5 drawing context. 
Yeah. Um, it's like, yeah, so they're really behind this. And, and that's been um, such a shift uh, that we've seen in, in all the browser vendors, um, but I guess most noticeable with Microsoft. So, yeah, I think IE10 is a particularly interesting one. Um, and it's going to be really interesting to see what happens because it's so integrated as well with the Metro stuff. And um, have you seen the, uh, the, the new version of Blend that they showed off at Build, which spits out uh, HTML5 and JavaScript? Oh, I have not. Did no. you know that? I did not. Yeah, so no. Blend has been traditionally the XAML tool, um, but the one the, the developer preview version of Blend spits out HTML5. Mm. Yeah. As well as XAML. Oh, as well, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, actually, I'm, they're now doing both. I'm not sure that the one that they gave away spits out XAML. I think I saw some grumblings on the RD list about that it didn't, but that it'll be in there. It's This is just a, a limited preview. Right. Yeah. It's, it's going to have obviously what they've been working on. Yeah, that's what they're going to do. Paul, you said you're a classically trained computer scientist. Yes, but dude, you have serious art skills. Yeah, uh, I wish I did. But, uh, like your 3D work's amazing. Thank you very much. Um, yeah, I'm uh, considered to be a bit of a uh, an unusual character like that. I think. Um, I think a lot of programmers are very. Uh, focused in on the code and, and don't think they've got an eye for like for the aesthetics. Um, and I don't think that's actually true. I think design has rules uh, in the same way everything else has rules and good things that you can do. And I've always been a big believer that if you want to learn something like that, then you can and you should. And uh, I've always tried to be a student of many things, particularly design. I love uh, typography and stuff like that as well. So, And it's really good because you can then you're freed up to do everything. If you really want to, you can take something from like a thought in your head all the way through designing it and prototyping it, build it, test it, and just be like, okay, but I can do that whole stack thing and uh, an appreciation for, for everything in that, in that list really. Yeah. I just, you know, undulating monkey. Oh yeah. No, the undulating ah. monkey is, is, Oh, that's such a freaky thing. Everybody it is totally a freaky thing. <laughs> Yeah, everybody loves the monkey. I mean, who doesn't love a monkey, right? <laughs> and if you want to know what we're talking about, um, on his on Paul's website, Arrow Twist, you can see all this stuff. Yeah, there's a demo on there. It was what I wanted to do was test because uh, I built this 3D engine. Oh my god, uh, I'm looking at it yeah. now in Chrome. It's freaky, right? Unbelievable. Yeah. Um, I, uh, I built this. So I built this little 3D engine. And you know and what? It's what, talking to me. It's saying bananas, bananas. <laughs> Bananas. If, if you wanted to say something very different to you, in the top left, there are some controls. Change the axis of undulation to X, Z, the bottom one, or X, Y, or something. That's freaky. Oh, good Lord. <laughs> there you go. Top tip for you. What's yeah. going through his mind right now? His ears. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I, that, was like a, that was like a stress test for Jav the JavaScript engine, really. With my 3D uh, engine, I was like the JavaScript engines as well, like V8 and all these kind of things, and, and I wanted to see just like how many how many vertices can I push around yeah. and still have the, the the browsers cope, and it's been amazing. Like the the progress that we've seen for JavaScript speed has been phenomenal. Now. Yeah, um, and so that's all that was. But everybody's been like, I love the monkey. Like, <laughs> I, I don't blame you. I mean, I love the monkey as well. But why do you love the monkey? I love it for what it tells me about performance. So, oh man, you know, well, you know what? It, what appeals to me about the monkey is I, I realize this is actually a mathematical exercise. Yeah. Yes. I mean, you've taken a 3D rendering of an odd monkey. I don't know where you got that from. You you created a, a reflective surface on it with a it looks like a skyscape that reflecting off it at one angle or another, and then you're doing some great vector math on the vertices to do this undulation. Pretty much, pretty much. And all that's happening all in JavaScript, really. I mean, the final rendering's happening on the graphics card because it's WebGL, but... Right. Richard, um, while, while he was talking, did you, like, pull up the source code and figure that out? No. How did you know that? No, I'm just... I'm looking at what's going on and, and, and extrapolating. And ex extrapolating entirely correctly. Um, well, thank you. He is yeah. a, a scary smart man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Have you done some uh, time with 3D work and, and never feeling particularly competent with it? Uh, I have an appreciation for what's happening here. But uh, 
and it, yeah, it just sort of struck me. This is not a, a, an incredible work of art so much as a wonderful exercise in math. Thank you very much. It's that, that monkey, in, to answer your question, is there's uh, the 3D application Blender. It's an open source 3D application. Mm-hmm. And um, one of the built-in models that you can get there is the monkey, the monkey's head. So that's the origin of that particular model. Um, so there you go. Yeah. Wow. This is great stuff. I'm clicking around all of these things. It's amazing. This portion of .NET Rocks is brought to you by our good friends at Telerik. Hey, can you ever have too many free tools to complement your development skills? I didn't think so. So our friends at Telerik are giving you now more than 30 free products for application development, automated testing, agile project management, and content management. And we're talking free-free. Not a trial, not a demo, but free, complete products supported by a community of over 440,000 developers at Telerik Forums. From free ASP.NET AJAX, ASP.NET MVC, and Silverlight controls, to the free ORM solution and automated testing framework, to free agile management tools and content management systems, all of these and more are available to you for immediate download at Telerik.com slash free stuff. Most of the free products can be used for commercial purposes and give you access to supplemental support resources such as documentation and forms. Go to Telerik.com slash free stuff now and take full advantage of the available free of charge products. And don't forget to thank them for supporting .NET Rocks. The question is, how do we make this useful? Where are we going with this? Definitely. Great question. I think um, it's early days. I, and and what's very difficult, I think, in, in early days with these technologies, and I think I actually class HTML5 in general as, a, as an early technology, that the specification isn't final. And the big question is, okay, where are we going? What is what is the use case, particularly, say, for Canvas, this drawing context, whether it's the 2D one uh, that is part of the W3C spec uh, or the 3D one, which is the Kronos Group's spec? You know, where are we going? Why would we do this? And I, I got um, an email from somebody yesterday asking if they could use my 3D engine um, for doing uh, medical uh, stuff in terms of showing... Uh, brainwave activity. I thought that's just phenomenal. If that's what you can do in your browser, uh, showing things like that. Or, yeah. Okay. Your 3D you know? engine. Let's talk about that. All right. Let's go for it. Yeah, you go for it. <laughs> I want to hear what it is. All right. So um, there are a number of 3D engines out there right now, uh, all of which uh, typically use WebGL for their rendering. And I got to a stage where I felt like I needed to understand this stuff a little better myself. I've never done any 3D work at all, um, but I love it. I love seeing it. So I thought, okay, I'll write an engine as you do. Um, And so I sat down and I just worked through that process. And the idea was that it was a learning process for me to actually understand how do you plug a 3D engine together? What issues do you have? How do you actually just get this thing taking a model in a 3D program? out into your browser and making it interact and like the, the monkey thing, like how, what are the performance constraints? How and fast that's really can I, I spin Lee Perry Smith's head? And the answer is very. Yes. Yes. <laughs> it is. That is the scariest thing I've ever seen in my life. It's, it is creepy. A floating modeled head is, it's, it is creepy stuff. Actually, the one, the, there's a really creepy one, which is Walt Disney's head. Um, that's terrifying in any number of ways. <laughs> you guys are having too much fun ah! with this. Yeah, I mean oh. that's the thing. It was like it was like I want to do this. I want to play with this, and I but I also wanted to share this. And uh, also on like the there's a page on the site about the 3D engine, and from there I'm recording videos explaining the process I went through to create this 3D engine. Because I thought, well, I'm learning a ton of stuff. I'd like to share a ton of stuff as well. Um, so you can find those videos there as well. Wow. I'm yeah. sorry. Where, what were we talking about before I derailed you? <laughs> I have no Your idea. 3D engine. Yeah, the 3D engine. What's, it, what's yeah. it called? A3. A3. And A3. And it was called A3 because uh, it gave me a, a nice opportunity to have a short namespace. I really wish it was more involved than that. <laughs> but it, 
Yeah, the, the challenge for every developer is like, okay, can I keep my namespace short? I'm going to have to write this in every single file. Right. <laughs> it's true. It's all, all about brevity. So oh, yeah. what do we want an engine to do? Why do we need an engine? A 3D engine is there to kind of make your life a bit easier. Uh, if you're going to deal directly with a graphics card or anything like that, you want to have the shortest possible path. So if, if you're, if say for example, you're making a game and your artists are creating 3D models, if you're having to dissect that information and get it onto the graphics card, um, that's a very time-consuming and long process. And a 3D engine's job really is to sit between kind of the artists and even the coders to a certain degree, make their life easier so that they can express themselves as short and bre as briefly and as tersely as possible and get that stuff up on screen. So focusing on what you want to move rather than how to move it? Exactly, yeah. Uh, and especially with the case of 3D, there's a lot of uh, sort of grunt work just to get something up on there, yeah. Just to, to get it up and running. Definitely. But it still seems like there's a whole set of skills that you need to develop to have even a chance of working with a 3D engine. There's no doubt there's a certain amount of background that is definitely helpful, um, but... It's surprisingly straightforward. Like most 3D engines, you can say, create me a sphere or create me a cylinder or create me you know, this shape and put mm -hmm. it onto my screen and color it red, and it will do. Um, so, yeah, there's, like anything, I think you could ramp up to doing more complex things, definitely. But to get going, no, I think it's, it's, it's pretty straightforward. In fact, you know, you get back to the real point here, which is that the engines was, makes it simpler that I describe a polygon, a cylinder or a cube or something, and some kind of descriptions on its surfaces, then say, and here's what I want you to do. I want you to move it from here to here and turn it like this. Exactly. And As opposed to doing vertex math to try and figure out how to tell a video card to do that. Exactly. And you're, exactly I got to right. say, your website is very, very cool. And not just in terms of, you know, the demos that are there, but... The way that you formatted code in your figures, uh, in mm. your articles, just really, really nice. Great contrast, easy to read, fun to read. No, Thanks. it's a real pleasure. All that, yeah, I try and release everything as, as open, so open source as well to let everybody have a play. Cause it's one thing to read it, but I like, I like playing, uh, with code. I think if you can play with stuff, that's that's a that's time well spent. You know, you bring that into your work, and you'll bring that into your 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 own playtime if you like. So right. uh, yeah, it's good. Still wrestling with useful visualizations. You know, how do we make? You know, I, I feel for a guy who's doing a CRUD app who's just like trying to justify why would I need this? Yeah, um, that's a that's a very good question. Uh, you know, this is just the juice that makes it a delight to use um, an application. I, you know, you can think of those little easings that, you know, that we all came to love on the iPhone as just one of those little delightful things that you want to play with. You know, uh, I don't Definitely. know what that means on a tablet or in a Windows app, but certainly um, the, the ability to touch things and, and make things happen is just kind of fun. I watched this awesome uh, documentary about Industrial Light and Magic, the visual effects company, yeah. mm -hmm. and and they were talking about how initially they were doing all the stuff for Star Wars, and that was amazing, and then they did the stuff on Forrest Gump, and the point that they were making was now we can do the subtle stuff that that augments the story that we're telling, and that was a different experience entirely, and I think I would say the experiments and stuff that I do is like, it's like pure icing and sugar. There's no, in that sense, kind of application substance to it. But I would see, and I do see in my day-to-day -day work that you, you sort of do that documentary thing. You take a step back and you say, okay, actually subtly, like you're saying about the iPhone, we'll introduce this. It'll be a little thing, um, but it'll make everybody feel a lot better. It's like a really nice slick, uh, something that we can just slide in there. I think, to be honest, that's most likely where it's going to, it's going to have a, a, the impact. You know, we get such a visceral reaction from Undulating Monkey, and I realize that it's, it's the organicness of it. 
and you mm. wonder about the you know you slow that magnitude down a little and think what's the what would it do to somebody's sense of being around using an application that when they touch it where they touch creates an undulation across the surface they're touching yes you know, creating that sense of organic behavior against the, what is obviously a flat fixed essentially 2D surface to give it a feel of 3D I feel your impact, essentially, is what mm. the app is saying by creating that undulation. Right. Definitely. I and think, it is these uh, subtleties now. I mean, it's, it's, that's what we're... There's no longer just about functionality. It's about comfort. Yeah, and I think we're seeing this um, with, like, the user interfaces that we're seeing, like uh, voice control with gesture control, whether that's actually touch or it's, it's sort of a th something like the Connect that Microsoft made. Um, where you're gesturing to a device and it's interpreting that and doing something. And definitely, I think we're moving towards something, like you say, it's about comfort. It's about us being ourselves and the devices being smarter and interpreting that. And it's fascinating to see that, that we're living in that time where we're moving away from the keyboard and mouse and we're moving into this much broader thing where the devices are smaller, they're more powerful, but they're also capable of interpreting our voice and our actions. So here's a, to sort of follow up on, on Richard, Richard's uh, comment about, you know, where is this useful to our audience? Thinking about our audience, listening, you know, we're mostly developers. Some mm. of us may have an artistic flair, but, you know, probably the majority of us aren't going to. Um, what is something that you can tell them about, uh, you know, about 3D and about great, great graphics and great design that they can take away right now, even if it's hire someone like me? <laughs> <laughs> I, to be honest, I think the, the, most on, the most honest thing I can say is it's really great from a performance perspective that when you do this kind of work, you're forced to butt up against the limits of the browser and the limits of the computer. And when you work around some of those things, that's phenomenal because you can then apply that to perhaps easier problems that you're dealing with on your day-to-day -day and you'll find actually better performance and your applications will be better because of it. So um, uh, just be awesome. Just be awesome. Just yeah. be awesome, pretty much. Push, push the limits of what you know and what you do, and you'll find out where where your your boundaries are, where the computer's boundaries are, and you'll you'll start to find exciting and creative ways to get around the problems that you you didn't think you could solve. Is this um, awesome. as much of a left brain uh, skill as it is a right brain skill, or vice versa? I think versa? so. No, I think so because you like you can't you can't code something that you can't feel intuitively. Yeah, uh, and you need you need to have the know how I think to to do it. So you need to be able to code it. Yeah. So, um, uh, I guess what I'm saying is, you know, there's probably a majority of left brain people that listen to the show. Um, should we be working with people, or should we be tackling this ourselves? I mean, like a line of business application developer has plenty of other stuff to worry about in the app, i.e., making it work. You know. Where do you cross the line between I'm going to mess around with this stuff as a hobby and, hey, I'm actually pretty good at this. I can, you know, I imagine if a line of business application got really good at graphics, they'd be doing graphics for a living. They wouldn't be doing a line of business because, quite frankly, you guys get paid handsomely. Huh. I'm not actually, uh, I do graphic stuff as my hobby. Totally really? as my hobby. Yeah, really. Um, by day, I am a code monkey like the rest of you. Um, huh. So, no. Yeah. No, it's a true story. Um, wow. I think that's impressive. I, th I think the, the, the reality is that, you know, there's, a, there's scope for even little touches in everything that you do uh, software-wise, um, the way that a, a widget or a gadget reacts to the user interaction. It doesn't have to be this big showy piece and I think understanding what you're able to do uh, by maybe going all out and doing doing something as a hobby gives you that understanding of you know what can I bring to this even if it's just a little 
a little sprinkling of something that maybe only I know about, but I'm really proud of because I got that into the experience. Is it um, is it fairly easy for a line of business app who's never done graphics to pull up, uh, you know, your library and some samples and just sprinkle some goodness in there? Or is it going to take uh, a fair bit of work and understanding? I sincerely hope it's easy. That's the hopefully the point of the engine is that you can download it, you can get it running on your machine really easily and just hack something together. Um, wow. I'd see it much, yeah, it's, it should be like an hour or two of your time tops. Wow, that's great. I'm going to leave you guys a little bit of disadvantage, although I'll include this link in the show. Uh, it's from a, a website called UX Matters, and it's a, an article from a lady by the name of Colleen Roller who pulled together a bunch of related research papers showing how um, physical touch affected people's mindset. So the, my favorite part of this study was where they had they took two groups of people, and their job was to evaluate whether someone was qualified for a job. So they were essentially reading resumes and selecting who was qualified and who wasn't. And the only difference between the two groups was that one of them was reading resumes from a clipboard that weighed less than a pound, and the other one was reading resumes from a clipboard that weighed four and a half pounds. Huh. So it was the weight of the clipboard. And the people with the heavier clipboard tended to consider their people more qualified. Wow. Because, and the theory was that weight created a sense of importance. Oh, that explains my career. <laughs> There's a whole lot of sense of importance <laughs> to you, my friend. So you've got more importance than I, most. I got a whole lot of importance. <laughs> <laughs> but they also found that when they put rough textures on the clipboard, and they were assessing, you know, conflict resolution that a rough texture associated psychologically, psychologically with harshness and difficulty. That's amazing. And then they also looked at like rigid back chairs versus soft chairs, again, created rigid stability. So, and the point that the article really tries to get to is looking at UX design is that there is evidence that this physicality affects behavior, right? It affects people's perception. So as much as we think it's nice to have rounded corners and undulations and things like this, it's a recognition that in psychology, there is proof that this actually affects people's mindset and how they're going to use the app. Oh, obviously. I mean, look at the, the success of the iPhone. Wasn't be, It was because it was a pleasure and a delight to use. It was, I don't believe it was because people blindly followed Steve Jobs. Right. Yeah, it really, and it, and it wasn't that it did anything that, anything else didn't do you know there wasn't actually new features there really it was just but the way that it did it created such a sense of well-being that that's how you wanted to do it right are we crazy paul what do you think i think you're absolutely right i mean i before i owned uh an iphone i owned another uh smartphone and i guess on paper it could do virtually everything that the iphone could do um but I just couldn't make my peace with it. I was right. fighting with this thing day after day. I had to go through a, a ton of menus just to do the, the most basic things. And I think you're absolutely right. That sense of, hey, I'm just, I'm enjoying using this for what it is. I yeah. think that's a really, re that's in, in and of itself, it's a goal and it's a really good goal. Yeah, I think you're, you should pursue when you're talking about user experiences. I'm, I'm trying to engender a sense of glee when somebody's doing this. Uh, it's that it's effortless that they feel really good actually using the app and i and and i don't think the reason i think we're glabbing onto this is we've now seen it in action and the first product i ever saw that had that reaction was the iphone i think winphone 7 has a similar reaction yes but, you know the point is it is possible to create that sense of well-being in folks yeah definitely i yeah. think um yeah i think you're absolutely right and um we want to be people who make software that we would want to use because when we want to use the software that we've written, then other people will as well. I think it's that simple. And I think to you, if you understand what you can do and it's, it is a bit of an art and it is over and above, does this thing just work? It's like, does it work? Yes. But does it work well? Does it work in the way that I would want to use it or my, wife would want to use it or my mom or my dad or whoever in my family would want to use it if i can crack that puzzle then 
you know, then I'm on the way to actually solving that that usability thing that that makes people have an emotional connection with the software that makes people go, I love this bit of software. I love what it does for me. And and that can only be a good thing. So um, is your your day job, you say you're a code monkey like the rest of us. Is uh, Java primarily your language in the in the line of business world? No, um, most of the time, because uh, I actually build websites for a living, um, it could be anything from PHP to Java. Um, but most of the time now, it's actually front-end work at JavaScript and it is building out the HTML for, for sites and um, making those experiences good for people. Uh, okay. But it's not necessarily graphics work, yeah. So application crafting. Yeah, yeah. Interesting stuff. Yeah, it is very interesting stuff. How do we get started? What do we need tool-wise to, to get started with A3? You need a text editor and a <laughs> browser. No kidding. No, no, for real. You don't need anything heavy because um, it's all written in JavaScript. So you right. just need a browser that supports 3D, um, you know, and uh, just go to town. And other than that, it is really genuinely a text editor. So if you're a Visual Studio guy, of course you can use that. Um, that might be a bit heavy for, for what you need here, but uh, you can go with that. Yeah, sure. I mean, you know, the, the IntelliSense helps. Oh, definitely. Yeah. I think it's uh, it's the one feature that so many IDEs do not get right. Mm-hmm. And that, that just tell me what, just understand the program I'm writing and make it nice, please. Yes. <laughs> At Franklin's Net right now, you can get a DVD with over 11 hours of Billy Hollis on Silverlight 4 or 14 hours of Sahil Malik on SharePoint 2010, each for only six ninety five. Order online at www.franklins.net. Are you looking to change jobs? Infusion Development has offices in New York City, Toronto, London, Dubai, and Poland. Infusion has hired a whole handful of happy.net rocks listeners. Contact me for an introduction at carl at franklins.net. You know, one of the challenges I think we've got here, thinking in this terms of HTML5, is we've now got, you can see the sense of power we've got in HTML5. Mm. The question is, can we build applications that people are going to be willing to pay for? Because the web's always got that sense of freeness about it, where as soon as you've got something installable, it's got that sort of weight of ownership. Yeah, and I think we've seen, uh, and we are seeing, a more service-led shift at the moment. And I think you can say that the freemium model works pretty well i think giving a, a, a subset of functionality uh, away completely for free and saying you know that that's fine have that enjoy that uh but if you're a power user you might want x y and z and uh that's where i think the the monetization can come in the the actual valid business use for for these things can be and I guess the other part of this is HTML5 is really lending itself to the mobile side of things. I don't know if you're doing anything in the mobile space. Yeah, it's one of the crazy spaces right now. I mean, you were saying before that we have a lot of browsers, um, but when you factor in mobile, uh, it's, oh, wow, what a number of browsers we've got Well, there. and such a sense of expectation that in these latest generations of iPhones and Androids and WinPhone 7s, they just simply expect the web page to work. Definitely. And BlackBerry as well. Yeah. Um, and tablet. You know, everybody's expecting this stuff to, to just work. And it is a big challenge because, like you said, HTML5, it brings so much power. But the mobile space is, compared to the desktop, very power limited. And yeah. So the features I'm thinking are about what happens to undulating monkey on my WinPhone 7. Ah. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'd like to know. Um, <laughs> but would you pay for it, Richard? Would you pay for it? Yeah, we just got to see, yeah, see if I can get my phone to drain its battery in a half hour. <laughs> Definitely. Uh, that's, it's such a big challenge, isn't it, that, that we're, we're looking at now. It's like, I, I, in theory, can do all this crazy stuff. Um, if you turn that into a ringtone, you know, if it made some noise, and, and then you pick it up and you hold it up and say, oh, it's my wife. 
And there's the undulating monkey. <laughs> I, I'm not sure I'd get away with that if that was my life. Yeah, that's funny once. Yeah, once. <laughs> yeah, yeah. call me, call me. See what you get, the undulating monkey. I don't think I'd be leaving that room in one piece. I wouldn't. No, yeah, I can't see that going all that well. <laughs> so, funny. Paul, what's next for you? What are you working on? Um. Well, most days I'm working on... Now working on HTML5 projects, oddly enough. Um, mm-hmm. Well, it's 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 really interesting because I've never known a technology be picked up so, by so many browser vendors and be pushed for so aggressively. And I mean, I really, I definitely welcomed Microsoft's decision to make the uh, IE10 Metro uh, version plugin free and give yeah. HTML5 the run out it really needs. Um, so, like, right now, most of the time, clients are coming through the door and they're saying, you know what, we want a HTML5 experience. We know it's going to work on mobile. We know it's going to work on the desktop. Um, you know, and we know it's it's future-proof in that sense. You know, more well, they, and more. I think they want to believe that, not understanding the whammies. I mean, it's just like we were talking. Just because you can make a page work in Chrome doesn't mean it's going to work in WebKit on an iPhone. Definitely. And that, yeah, definitely the case. But there's the promise, isn't it? The promise that ultimately these things will resolve themselves. Um, and that's, a, I mean, that's an interesting problem in and of itself. It's like, how do you, how do you say to a client or somebody who's asking you, what should I build this in? How can you hand on heart say, use HTML5? It's the future when they're wanting something now. Right. Mm. Because you're saying, in a sense, we're kind of getting there and you know, give us a little bit of time and an IE9 is kind of there and an IE10 is going to be better and Chrome's there and Firefox is there. And, you know, it's, it's going to be there. It's going to be on your mobile, but right now, yeah, like you said before, things like modernizer, you know, you, you're going to need to use those and kind of degrade nicely and so on. Tell us what modernizer is again. So modernizer is uh, a fantastic library started by a guy called Paul Irish, where it detects, uh, in the browser, what features it supports, whether that's CSS3, it's uh, WebGL, it, all sorts of things, um, all these different features that in theory could be in a browser but may or may not be. And the idea is that it will let the developer know um, what's available so the developer can say, okay, if, if uh, rounded corners is available, border radius, um, if that's available, do this. Uh, otherwise, effectively do this. Uh, so it, that's all it's really doing. It's just kind of giving the developer the heads up on what's available. And in today's development, that's like totally crucial because you need to be able to hand on heart say, you know, I've 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 dealt with, uh, you know, the, the browsers that we've got. I I can tell you how it's going to look in IE nine. I can tell you what it's going to look like in Chrome or in Firefox because I've detected effectively what they're able to do. Hmm. Well, that's pretty cool. And all about, yeah, we'll have to do a show on yeah. it because it's all about handling that downgrade elegantly. Right, right. Other than IE6, you're supposed to just cup, pop up a dialer that says, dude, really? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Friends don't let friends run IE6. I, yeah, no. Even even Microsoft, I think, have possibly apologized for that one. They, they, well, I, you know, whenever I've pushed a Microsoft guy who actually knew what he was talking about in this space, he's like, look, IE6 was a totally leading edge browser at the time. Yeah. You know, one would argue too much so. They implemented stuff in CSS that still hadn't been ratified, so it ended up being unique. Like, there's all these kinds of problems, but it was with the best of intentions. It's just that, the and the reason the browser persists is it's the default browser in XP. And because mm-hmm. XP persists, IE6 persists. As XP goes away, IE6 goes away. Definitely. And... You know, I think exactly right. I was, you know, IE6 was one of my first browsers that I played with. And at the time, it blew everything else out of the water. Yeah. And so in that sense, it's like it's like a member of the family. Yeah. You know, the, a brain damage in, member of the family given. But, you know. Yeah. We're, but all we're trying same, to keep them like, locked in the attic. It's like, I remember when you were great. You were good. <laughs> and now you're just crazy. <laughs> yeah, you've lost your marbles, haven't you? Yes. <laughs> Could you stop eating the sofa, please? Uh. But, you know, the point was, and I think this is why you've got these issues, is that 
it was so ahead of its time. People built specifically for it and built applications, web-based applications around IE6. And it's just not easy to migrate off of it, to modify that application so it'll run properly in other browsers. And so it's hard to get rid of IE6. Guys, I'm having horrible flashbacks. Can we get off IE6? <laughs> oh, let's talk about intranet some oh, more. Oh, God. <laughs> more intranet, more. Let's talk yeah, about woo. ActiveX in IE6. How about that? Now you're just talking crazy talk. Yeah, you see, without ActiveX, we wouldn't have had an integrated Flash plugin. Right. And, and it really... I, see, some of the stuff that people did in Flash was the grandfather of what we're seeing in Canvas right now. I wouldn't turn down ActiveX and the Flash plugin and IE6 in in the sense that it gave us what we've got now. It's part of a, the history. I mean, I wouldn't... But you like, know what's weird is that ActiveX, if ActiveX was enabled you know, because of Flash or accepted because of Flash, it's a... Why wasn't it utilized as a as an in-browser application delivery mechanism? That's a very good question. Yeah. I honestly don't know. I don't know the answer either. It was possible, but people didn't do it. Yeah. But it, it opened the door with the object tag and all to this whole plug-in model, which, oddly enough, we seem to be going away from. So do we blame this all on Microsoft then? I wouldn't like to. <laughs> Everybody does. Yeah. Everybody, yeah, everybody does. And I think they are an easy target right now. Yeah. Um, but you know what? They, they're the ones in that sense, they've got like an operating system or five or whatever it is to maintain, you know, they've got a lot on and they're making a browser and you know, that's a browser's a, a complex piece of software in and of itself. So I don't know. I don't envy their task. And they've, they've openly said we will support our software for 10 years, um, which includes IE. You know, that's a long time to support a piece of software. So, you know, Microsoft has a lot to a lot to lose and a, a lot on the line. So it, it's kind of easy to punch them. And sometimes, yeah, I might fall into that trap. But, you know, they've got a lot to lose, I think. So what have you heard about um, about Windows 8 and, and uh, Metro? Yeah, so the, this... This is fascinating from a developer standpoint because they were saying the the rumble was that Silverlight had been kind of downgraded a little bit to this mobile thing, and that HTML5 was now king of the experience. And this Metro system is in in place of what was the start menu? Correct me if I'm wrong. Um, and these were all going to be like a HTML5 experiences. These kind of uh, applications that you could drop in there. So if that's the if that's the case and that's how it actually works out and that's that's really putting it front and center. Well, you know, here's the funny thing is that at build Silverlight was downplayed only because they were announcing this new stuff, this new technology. The reality is nothing's changing in the Silverlight space at all. Um and Windows 8 fully supports everything that Windows 7 supports. So <laughs> I even heard um uh, well, we could save this for the other show, Richard, but I even heard the, um, uh, Paul Therott saying that there is going to be a policy in Windows 8 that essentially lets an administrator in an enterprise turn off Metro. Wow. Yeah. So Ooh. if you, if Windows 8 is going to be used in an enterprise and they want to sort of not interfere with the usability, uh, you know, and introduce that slowly, they can do that. Interesting possibilities there. Yeah. But, you know, it'll be fascinating to see, say, Undulating Monkey running in Metro. It would be. It's all HTML5 and JavaScript, and, and HTML5 and JavaScript are an equal player in the Metro space. Well, you know, here's the weird thing, though, is that Metro is not – it uses the technologies HTML5 and JavaScript, but you're programming it against WinRT. So it isn't really a true HTML JavaScript app. Your the Microsoft is basically saying leverage your skills to build Metro apps. It's a it's a binary Metro app, is what it is. So do you, would you actually code this in like JavaScript or something like that, and then it would be compiled into a binary? Exactly, you'd code Whoa. it in JavaScript and HTML, and it'd be compiled into a a native application. And of course, the browser is going to support HTML5 and JavaScript just like any other browser. So, but the really interesting thing is for a Metro app with all that, you know, the, the launching and the app store and all of that thing, 
if you're savvy with JavaScript and HTML, you can use that to write a, a WinRT app or a Metro style app. Does that create a two tier experience? If you're if you've got a, you've got the same code and in theory it runs in IE and it also runs in Metro. No, see that's the difference is that um, a, a Metro app is running against the Windows runtime, so you're actually programming Windows through JavaScript through JavaScript and HTML5. All right, so they're going to expose some objects, some yes. API calls that you can call. So you're actually your application. Yeah, like you say, you use your your knowledge of something like JavaScript to create this application. Right. But your 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 application couldn't run in a browser then. Well, no, that but but there's nothing stopping you from building a web version of your application in HTML5 and JavaScript, and it's oh, sure. going to run just like any other application on Windows 8. But it won't be a Metro app unless you unless you build a Metro app. But you I mean, can use your skills as an yeah. HTML5 and JavaScript developer to do that. That's so interesting because we're seeing, I think, JavaScript becoming this kind of first-class citizen. Right. Um, it's available on server-side now. It's available because uh, a few years ago when I was making websites, um, it was like, you know, JavaScript is bad. It's really bad. Don't use it. And recently, it's, yeah, it's become not only favorable again, but it's become this kind of first-class citizen on server-side and now to actually at the operating system level. And that's that's phenomenal, really. It, it is very interesting. It's moved like that. And I think guys like Doug Crockford who sort of said, here are the good bits of JavaScript that then sort of morphed into stuff like jQuery that just made JavaScript suck less. Mm. That, <laughs> that you could work. Plus, most importantly is testing frameworks that you can write maintainable code in JavaScript if you follow good testing protocols. Right. Right. And also, I mean, the runtimes for these things are, got dramatically better. They're like orders of magnitude faster, right? Yeah. So it's no longer like, oh, you made this site suck more by putting in JavaScript. It's like you made this site actually tangibly better by putting in JavaScript. Mm. True enough. Mm. The one thing that you do not get um, when you program a Metro app in JavaScript over, say, C Sharp is all the great languagey features of C sharp like generics and and uh, uh, in link and all of that stuff. I don't believe you get that. So it's been an interesting hour, uh, Paul. You're an amazing artist and uh, and graphics guy, and thank you for uh, developing A3. It looks amazing, and I would encourage all our listeners to go check it out. Give yourself an hour of playtime tonight. Thank you very much, guys. It's been a pleasure talking to you. All right. And we'll see you next time on .NET Rocks. .NET Rocks is recorded and produced by Pwop Productions, providing professional audio, audio mastering, video, post-production, and podcasting services. Online at www.pwop.com. .NET Rocks is a production of Franklin's Net, training developers to work smarter and offering custom on-site classes in Microsoft development technology with expert developers. Online at www.franklins.net. For more .NET Rocks episodes and to subscribe to the podcast feeds, go to our website, at www.dotnetrocks.com. Got a transmitter band by the FCC. Yes, I'm a 